Did you ever think being a woman who wanted it all would be so hard? I didn't either. That's why my guests and I are unveiling the issues and challenging the norms of modern womanhood with the intention of exploring and publicly airing the uncomfortable and the unspoken. No topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions that most people are too ashamed to ask. Welcome to Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman. So, are you in? About a year ago, I was chatting with a work colleague who was married to a man 11 years her junior. She's in her late 30s and we were discussing the pressures surrounding starting a family. Right as we were discussing where the children are for us, a girl I attended school with locked eyes with me from across the courtyard. Let's call her Susan. Susan is your quintessential straighty 180 who came out of the womb ticking societal boxes. She was a teacher's pet, went on to work in one of the big four accounting firms and married the first man she dated. Given I'm her polar opposite, I started to wonder, what on earth are we going to talk about, as she confidently strode across the courtyard towards me. Straight after she said hi to me, she asked, do you have children yet? As I'm no stranger to this sort of interrogation, I mentally buckled up and thought, here we go again. I said no, and then she continued to ask me if I was married or dating anybody, which I also answered no to. Perhaps frightened by my lack of conformity, she immediately lost interest and dismissed the conversation before heading off. My friend and I burst into laughter and agreed that if having children meant we would one day end up as myopically cliched as Susan, then that life was simply not for us. But unfortunately, the Susans of this world are not anomalies. The following weekend, I attended a friend's baby shower. When I got there, I ran into the mother-to-be's father. Let's call him Bill. Within moments, he was applying the same interrogative questions. Children, married, dating, blah, 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 all of which were met with a resounding no. Dumbfounded, he took it upon himself to spend the next hour lecturing me on how to put myself out there so I could finally find my happily ever after. But the reality was I was already happy. I was living at home with my fur baby Luna, halfway through my 10th book for the year, and was on my way out of the finance world to found my very own company. And yet not once did it occur to him to ask about anything beyond my relationship status. As he sat there, I wondered to myself, what have I done wrong in life to have my entire existence reduced to whether or not I have a ring on my finger? Eventually, I made a beeline to the bathroom to escape Bill, but to my dismay, there was little reprieve elsewhere. Everywhere I turned, I was met with women ooing, ahhing, and making goo-goo faces at babies. When I didn't match their level of enthusiasm, one of my friends accusatorily remarked, you never were maternal, were you, Nikki? I was offended, but it wasn't entirely surprising. I had been single for so long that I was used to these kinds of false assumptions. Despite being self-assured, when I finally went home, I couldn't help but wonder, were they right? Had I somehow failed at life by not fulfilling my duties as a woman? Was Bill actually onto something? Is it wrong to be single at 30? To unveil this, let's take a look at the history of coupledom. People often assume that the nuclear family model, with one breadwinning husband committed to one stay-at-home wife who fell in love out of their own free will, stretches back into deep antiquity and prehistory. But they're wrong. According to research, Prior to the agricultural revolution about 10,000 years ago, families were made up of loosely connected groups of up to 50 or more people. There were often several male leaders with multiple women shared between them. As these hunter-gatherer groups settled down, however, things changed, and about 4,000 years ago, we can find the first evidence of marriage ceremonies in ancient Iraq that commit one woman to one man for life. This practice spread around the Mediterranean and was eventually practiced in the Hebrew, Roman, and Greek worlds. It would also come into being wherever agrarian societies developed, including in Asia, the Americas, and Africa. 
But for most of history, these marriages were nothing like the ones my friends and Bill thought were the be-all and end-all of life. Firstly, except in rare circumstances, they weren't based on romance. Instead, they were designed to form economic and political alliances between families that ensured the continuation of dynastic interests, aka the clan and family name, and kept food in the mouths of everyone involved. This was so much the case that all the way up until relatively recent times, couplings based on romance were considered dangerous, even a sickness. It's crazy to think that a reputable writer in France in 1184 said, love can have no place between husband and wife. So basically, it's no surprise Romeo and Juliet didn't work out. During the Middle Ages, marriages were so transactional that in the worst cases, women like Anne Boleyn were murdered for failing to provide children. Others were outcasts because their families didn't provide large enough dowries, a practice that sadly continues in some parts of the world to this day. Shockingly, though, it was only in the 19th century that love started to become a valid reason to get married, and back then it was still a contentious move. Skip forward to the post-war economic boom of the 1950s, and we find the beginnings of the modern marriage ideal, the nuclear family based on romance, like the Simpsons and the Brady Bunch. Just as much as women of the past were pressured to get married for economic and political reasons, women of the 50s all the way up until today have been pressured to find their one true love, settle down, and procreate. We're sold this narrative everywhere we look, from Disney classics to fairy tales, television, Hollywood, and the New York Times bestseller list. It's this societal narrative that gives the bills of this world their ammunition and has led to author Dr. Bella DiPolo to coin the term singleism. The word, fitting into the categories of other isms like racism, sexism, and ableism, is defined as the stigmatization of adults who are single. It includes negative stereotyping of singles and discrimination against singles, and pretty much any single girl in their 30s has experienced it. So, in 2021, is it okay to be single at 30? My answer is undoubtedly a yes, and here's why. Firstly, even if your ultimate goal is to find love and get married, then your 30s can be the perfect time to do just that. By 30, you have a much, much better perception of who you are and what you want than in your 20s. You've been through life's twists and turns, face a whole heap of challenges, overcome them, and grown as a result. In fact, according to research conducted at Oxford University, our brains actually don't finish developing until our 30s. You might legally be considered an adult at 18, but biologically, you're absolutely not. When I was 20, I was constantly mistaking infatuation for true love and lust for compatibility. I can't remember the countless times I dated the same narcissistic archetype, convinced that they would be different, only to cry myself to sleep when it never worked out. It was only by 30 that I had fully embraced my true values and started to date people for reasons deeper than how attractive they were materially and physically. Basically, if I'd married any of the guys I dated in my 20s, I'd either be hooked on Prozac or divorced by now. But seriously, in your 30s, you are more confident and empowered. In my 20s, if someone suggested we go hiking for a date, I'd go along with it knowing full well that it was my literal worst nightmare. These days, I'm able to confidently say no and recognize that if hiking is their go-to date, we're probably not compatible and I'm not sorry to admit that. When I was 20, I saw red flags and ignored them or sometimes even ran straight towards them. So did a lot of women I grew up with. Now that we're 30, though, we've learned how to pre-screen potential suitors with stricter criteria. We've developed our intuition and now know that red flags are not to be ignored. But in my 20s, I dated endless men for their potential in the hope they would grow into it. Today, I recognize them for who they are right now and act accordingly, sometimes even when it means having to bail mid-date. By 30, you're more comfortable in your own skin and understand what you want from intimacy. Inexperience is often replaced with experience and hopefully gone are the days where you come across a guy who tries to backdoor it accidentally. And lastly, by 30, you and your dating partners are usually past their university days and are on a steady payroll. No longer do dates have to take place in parents' lounge rooms or in shared houses with their friends where there are more housemates than bedrooms. 
Instead, you can go away for the weekend or catch a movie on a school night. But being single at 30 isn't just okay if you're ultimately trying to find a partner. It's okay to be single in perpetuity. The times of needing a man for survival are gone. According to new survey data, a full half of women in the United States now report that they out-earn or make the same amount as their husbands or partners. Women in their 20s and 30s also tend to be better educated than their partners. As Gloria Steinem so accurately put it, we are becoming the men we wanted to marry. In fact, psychologists think that for some of us that makes the most sense. These not-so-rare breed of people are those called single at heart by author Dr. Bella DiPaolo. They are those who are single because it truly suits them. It is who they authentically are. To identify if you're single at heart, Dr. Bella DiPaolo suggests you ask yourself questions like, do you like solitude? Or do you prefer to attend events alone rather than with plus ones? Or do you find you're not all that interested in seeking a long-term romance? Or, when you've ended long-term romantic relationships in the past, did you feel more relief than sadness or pain? If you answered yes to these, then maybe you should ignore societal norms and expectations and consider if being single for life is a more suitable path for you than tying the knot. Oddly enough, despite being social creatures, there's also a case that being single, even for those of us seeking true love, is actually more beneficial for our happiness than being coupled up, but surprisingly only for women. According to happiness expert Paul Dolan's recent book, Happy Ever After, Single women who have no children are the happiest subgroup of women. I wish I could say I was surprised by this. But seriously, as much as many men try to resist getting locked down, Dolan makes a good case that men benefit from marriage more than women. They tend to calm down, live longer, and earn more money. But the same isn't true of women who get married. Married women tend to have increased incidences of both mental and physical health conditions in comparison with single women of the same age bracket. This is in part attributed to the irony that those in romantic relationships tend to be more disconnected socially than singles, who are more involved and maintain better relationships with their families, friends, community, and places of work. But what if you think you're single at heart in your 30s, only to then realise you're not as you enter your fourth decade? There's luckily no need to panic. Although in the past we were restricted by our so-called biological clocks, women in 2021 can safely have children all the way into their 50s, but whether or not it's advisable obviously remains a hot topic. So, what does all this mean? Aside from statistically avoiding your first divorce, being single at 30 actually has a lot of perks. We need to change this narrative of failure imposed on single women and remind women that we're capable of finding love at any stage in our lives, even if it's not before 30, and that maybe we don't need to find love at all. For many of us, being single into our 30s can either lead us to attract better partners in the long run, or simply make us all-round healthier and happier people who live more fulfilling lives. Basically, all this proves that women can be their own Prince Charming and achieve a happily ever after all on their own. I'm definitely not saying I'm giving up on the search for love just yet, obviously, but I also know that even if I don't find the right partner in this lifetime, I've got a lot of happy years ahead of me. For now, instead of incessantly swiping right and investing all my time in the hope of finding the right person, I'm taking these years of singledom as an opportunity to stretch out across the bed, sleep in as much as I like, and become the best version of myself. Perhaps you should join me. Thank you so much for listening to this Single at 30 episode, Why It's Good to Be Single at 30. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and hit follow and subscribe. If you have a question that you want answered, DM me on Instagram at single underscore at underscore 30 or join the Single at 30 closed Facebook group to become part of the community where together with other like-minded modern women, we publicly air the uncomfortable and the unspoken. As always, no topic is taboo as we search for answers to the questions most people are too ashamed to ask. This is Single at 30, the manual for the modern woman that we are writing together.